0: Uh, I want to talk tonight about anxiety, and uh, it's something, uh, well, let me just ask the question. How many of you have ever felt anxiety at least once in your life? Just raise your hand, okay. How many of you have felt it maybe twice in your life? Uh, so we could keep on going because we've all felt it more than that. I, My understanding of this is that there are people who... Um, who will admit that they're anxious, and then there are people who will lie about it, because nobody likes to say, I'm afraid, or I'm scared, or anything like that. But, you know, the feeling of anxiety is, honestly, it's one of the most awful feelings in the world. It, it's like everything is knotted up inside. There's this sense that comes over you of dread, that, that something really, really bad is going to happen, and you're not sure what it is, but it's horrible. And it sometimes gets so locked up inside of us that we can't, we can't, you know, get rid of it. And cheerful people coming along and saying, don't worry, it'll be okay. You know, that doesn't help at all, does it? I remember uh, hearing this story about this woman who gave her husband some advice about his anxiety. So he's stressed out. This is a true story. So he he's apparently has a big job interview the next day, a really important job interview, and he's pa- pacing back and forth in the house. And I said, I'm so worried about this thing. I'm so anxious about this job interview. And finally he said to her, You know, he says, I'm so worried about this job interview tomorrow. He says, My hands are all sweaty. My palms are all sweaty. And he's pacing back and forth. And he comes back to her he says, I'm I'm so worried about this job interview. He says my mouth is dry, and she says, "Well, why don't you lick your hands?" (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. Probably didn't help him a whole lot, right? Under that, under those circumstances, we're all feeling uh, anxiety. I think around this whole uh, thing of COVID that seems to be going on in our culture. Now, how many of you think that when it's all over with? You know, and we're back to good times again, and, and you know, and the things under control, and they've got the vaccine and so on, and the numbers are almost non existent. How many of you think that you've, you know, like all your problems will be gone and everything will be fine? Well, that doesn't happen, does it? Because we always have problems. Even when times are really good, we still have problems. And we still have those times when it gets when it begins to again, you know, rise again, you know, and we feel the anxiety coming. And you know, it kind of trickles into our lives at first and feel like our feet are wet with anxiety. And then it's like this flood that comes, and we just feel like we're gonna get swept away. And we think, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if this happens? What if what if and, you know, and it just keeps on going. Jesus speaks directly into this chaos. And he makes a very broad statement. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit later. But he basically says, if I were you, I wouldn't worry. And there's a reason for that. And it's because of the fact that worry actually is bad for your health. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, a book I read a number of years ago is about a- adrenaline and stress, and it's a great book if you want to read it sometime. But it basically says that you know when you, when you stress, when you stay in that state of stress and anxiety, he says you're basically killing yourself a little bit at a time. Because under times of stress and anxiety, what happens is adrenaline begins to flow into our body, which is a great thing. It's either fight or flight. You've heard all that stuff and so on. So it's great, but man, when, it's kind of, when you're on kind of an adrenaline drip, It will kill you. Bad for your heart. It's bad for just about every area of your life. And I want to talk tonight about why the Spirit of God would tell us something like, don't be anxious. Because it sounds crazy when you're anxious, doesn't it? Don't be anxious. And I want to talk about how that works. See, not (laughs) worrying, you know, or somebody telling you not to worry and actually not doing it, getting over it, are two different things. That's what you find when somebody tells you not to be anxious, it doesn't help. So there's the adrenaline and stress that's bad for your health. Uh, you know, adrenaline is this way. Like if you were a car, it would be a little bit like, you know, revving the engine, like flooring the engine, you know, and then popping the thing in gear and then, and then slamming on the brakes. You do that a number of times, and I'm telling you, it'll do a lot of damage to a car. I tried it once with my dad's, you know, big 69 lime green Mercury Fat ride, and uh, and so <laughs> I did that, and the engine actually jumped off the motor mounts and shredded, you know, the the fan thing. My dad wasn't real happy about that, and I wasn't either, you know. But it's a great book. Adrenaline is really bad for you when you live on this stuff. Okay, now. Long before we did any research on this and before we found this out, okay, uh, I think we knew that anxiety was bad for us and so on. And the God who created adrenaline understood that if you live on this stuff, it does all kinds of damage. It damages a lot of other stuff. See, because adrenaline, you know, anxiety causes us to think about ourselves. Like, I mean, who do you think about when you're stressed out, when you're anxious, You don't think about anybody else, right? You're thinking about yourself, and it tends to hurt relationships. Worry keeps us from taking risks. The risks that we should take, the things that we ought to do, we sometimes, if we're filled with anxiety, we never do them because we're scared to do them. You know, worry and anxiety is actually a perversion of the gift of foresight. The gift of foresight that God gives us is the ability to kind of look out into the future, to look ahead and make plans and figure out what you're going to do. Anxiety perverts that into imagining all these disaster scenarios and never doing anything because it locks you down in, into, into fear. And apparently there's a worry gene. Uh, my grandmother Davis had that gene. I mean, she had her postgraduate degree in worry. You know, the, the family story about that is the fact is the time when my dad brought a puppy home, and I'm telling you, she stayed up all night, paced the floor, worrying that that puppy would grow up and bite somebody, okay? Okay. They finally had to get rid of the dog. But I'm telling you, that killed her ultimately. She died at the age of 61. She'd been had Alzheimer's for three years and she looked like she was in her 80s. Adrenaline and anxiety is bad for you. And you know, in his book, Uh, Laugh Again, Chuck Swindoll says that people get addicted. To anxiety, get addicted to worry. It's interesting that worry actually comes from the German word worgen, which basically means to strangle or choke. And that's what you feel like, right? When you're anxious, feel like, "Ah!" you know, life is getting choked out of you. That's what happens. Jesus said, you know, in his parable about the seeds. I don't know if you remember this, but he said that you know the good seed is thrown. Sometimes it lands on the road, and, and birds come and get it. Sometimes it lands in the rocks, and you know it gets you know it doesn't have enough light, and so on, gets you know uh, drowned out by the rocks. But it says that sometimes it lands in weedy soil, and what happens is this perfectly good seed, which has the opportunity to multiply, gets choked, gets choked out by the worries of life. Worry and anxiety can literally choke out your fruitfulness in life and keep you from being who you ought to be. Now, we all wrestle with worry, right? Uh, Some of you may be nail biters, you know, and and you know, and stewers and stuff, and you just you know you get all wrapped up in your own world and stuff like that, and then you nag other people about it and so on about your worries and so on, and then some people actually they try to power up on it. You may know a few of those. They become perfectionists and they think you know I can maybe perfect my world and perfect all the people in my world, and I can just you know squeeze all the anxiety and all the stress out of it, you know. And over time, people hate them because nobody likes to be pressured, you know, by Who's trying to do that, trying to play God? We all suffer from this illusion, though, that if we could just solve our problems, we wouldn't feel anxious anymore. That it would all just go away, you know? And so that's a pipe dream. And I, I just need to tell you, I've got good news and bad news if that's what you're thinking. The good news is that someday all your worries will disappear. The bad news is that it's going to be. On the day that you die, okay? And it's amazing how that happens because you know, fear is going to disappear straight from your life, all your problems will be gone, and so on. It's amazing how when you die, all the anxiety just kind of slips right out of your life. You don't have to worry about anything anymore. Of course, you don't can't do anything anymore either. Jesus said when it came to worry, he said this. He said basically, he said, in this world, anybody finish that sentence? You'll have trouble. You can have trouble. It's just like you'll finish solving one problem and dealing with one anxiety and another one's going to pop up. It's just, it's just that. And, and he said, the reason you don't worry is because every day has enough trouble of its own. So don't stack up stuff that doesn't need to be on your back. A guy by the name of Ed Hollowell, who's an expert in the field of anxiety, explains kind of the equation of worry. And this is the way it works. He said that we worry, we become anxious from a sense when our vulnerability Is heightened. We don't see God. We feel like we're all alone. We feel like we've got to solve the problem. We're going to get overtaken by our problem. So when our vulnerability increases and our power decreases, we feel like I can't handle it. You remember the line from the story, you know, where um, he says, "You know, you can't handle the truth." Well, that's it. We we get in a situation. We think I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. I can't. I can't work with this. Our vulnerability is high and our power is low. And what you're going to see is you're going to see how God helps us to deal with it. And that's what this passage basically talks about. And, And again, this is appropriate in this season of COVID because there's never been a time when people have felt more vulnerable. Like you think about this, we're trapped in our homes, we're getting news every day about how bad it is and how bad it's getting and people are dying, people are sick and this many people and in the United States and in you know, Brazil and it just keeps on going and going and it's this invisible virus so you can't even see it, okay, and other people have it and if you hang around with them, they might give it to you you know. and there's nothing that you can actually do about it and I'm telling you, it heightens the feelings of, of vulnerability and then when you can't do anything about it, you lose your sense of power. That's why, you know, it, this thing is so deadly in our culture, and it just is getting pumped into our homes. So, and that brings us to what the Holy Spirit says through Paul, and it, and it fits like a glove with the best research on dealing with anxiety. Paul says this, he says, don't be anxious about anything. You think, well, it's fine for you to say, okay? He just give us that advice, you know, and you take off, you know, well, actually he was beheaded, so he had plenty to be anxious about, but he says, don't be anxious about anything, but it's the context That deals with how to deal with that. Let me read the whole context. Okay, he says this: "Rejoice in the Lord always," and I'll I'll explain that as we go along. I will say it again: "Rejoice." And then he says this: "Let your gentleness be evident to all." Okay, how does that fit? He says, "And the Lord is near." Well, that fits, I think. And he says, "Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation." by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which is what we want, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the first tip here, first where he's talking about worry prevention, he basically says rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, just in case you didn't get it the first time. Rejoice. So what's Paul saying here? He's just saying, you know, don't worry, be happy. Well, I, that's not exactly what he's saying, I don't think. The first thing we have to deal with is the fact that joylessness is a problem. And the, bo- and the word joy is not about people jumping around and raising their hands and being happy, you know, like they're at a, you know, a soccer game or, or a hockey game or something like that. Joy is basically the sense of confidence that you have down inside that everything is going to be okay. It doesn't look good now, it's tough now, but everything is going to be okay. And because joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, it's a very important part of our lives. In fact, if you get to a point where you lose your joy and your life could be described as being joyless, that's a problem because joylessness is kind of the idiot light on the dashboard of your life. Life becomes drudgery. It means that something's wrong deep inside. Now, let me kind of give a disclaimer here, okay? We all know that there are chemical reasons for this, for depression and for anxiety disorders and things like this. And so if, and if, that's, if it's a chemical reason, then you need to go to a physician and, and work with him in terms of trying to deal with that. So that sometimes happens in people's lives, okay? So joy, the confidence that we have is a choice that we make in life. Now, I want you to notice the key to understanding this concept. This isn't like joy on tap, you know, where you you Uber in some joy from the joy part of your brain and you bring it into your heart. Think about that for a minute. What are the other options? It talks about rejoicing in the Lord, finding your confidence in the Lord. What are the other options? Well, what happens if you find your confidence in your friends? Well, that's not a bad thing, but your friends are going to let you down, right? Jesus' friends let him down. What if you find your confidence in, you know, your boyfriend or the person you're hoping you'll marry, or the person that you do marry? If you've been married, or if you've ever been down that line, been down that route before, you know you put your confidence in them, and it's a, it's going to be a problem because they're up and down too. What if you put your confidence, you know, and in, in, you find your joy in your finances or you find your joy in your work or your job? That's all up and down. It, it's undependable. And that's why he's saying, you know, you want to put your confidence in the Lord because that's where you're going to where you're find the strength. Everything else is vulnerable. The next command he says here let your gentleness be evident to all. What's, what's, that, what's that all about? Well, it's actually a very extremely rich phrase here because the word in the Greek is something that people think that Paul maybe had kind of combined some other words uh, for this occasion. And it has this sense of be a sweet, be a generous, be a big-hearted person, someone who's relaxed, somebody who gives other people the benefit of the doubt, somebody who doesn't have to be right all the time. Anybody remember that concept? We talked about that last week in terms of just being relationally intelligent. What this is basically saying is that, you know, for some of us, our anxiety, in fact, a lot of anxiety in our lives comes from our relational world, doesn't it? We want to be loved by other people. We want to be accepted by other people. Sometimes we do stuff that just basically, you know, rips that right out of the equation. The gentleness part of it is, man, come on. If you you want to be less anxious, you need to let go personality you know he works in us through love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness the work of the spirit in our lives is what makes us this kind of this kind of person and there are people who try to you know like i mentioned before they try to you know control things into their lives and they're the kind of the opposite of what this what paul is talking about here about being a big hearted person you know because i'll tell you what if you play god and you aren't god when you find that out someday and you will that's going to be a very disappointing day, right? I think there's something else here. I think that people who are gentle, who are big-hearted and generous and kind and relaxed, attract people. They make, they make great spouses. They make really good parents. They make great friends. And again, this deals with one of the biggest sources of anxiety that we have in our lives, and it has to do with our friends. Now, this next phrase is short and sweet, but it's so powerful if that if we could really understand it, like if we really got it, I think it would totally impact, you know, all of the anxiety. We'd never worry again. It Says the Lord is near. Lord is near. There's a scene I love from um, the Lion King. You probably remember it, where Simba, you know, he, he's down. And he gets messing around with the hyenas and so on, and like they're ready to rip him apart, you know. So he doesn't know what else to do. He does what he's seen his dad do, and he opens his mouth to let out this roar, and there's this big, deep, throaty roar, you know, and the hyenas go tearing tearing off you know well it's Mufasa has shown up behind him you know and that's why they're running off and so on so you think about what that would be like to know for certain to have your confidence that God is with you wherever you go you know the authors of the scriptures they always say you know sometimes in God's words don't be afraid don't be afraid why is there nothing to be afraid of of course there are. yeah there are evil people out there this says the Lord is with you the Lord is with you I'm here He's right there. He's behind us. He's ahead of us. He's in the future beyond us. You know, and sometimes we get into anxious moments you know, and we're like, God, where are you? I don't see you anywhere. Well, he's actually you know, in front of us. He's behind us. He surrounds us. He's everywhere. We just don't see him. And that's why we get Frantic. The uh, other meaning of the Lord is near also implies that his second coming is near. You think about what that means. What Jesus said was going to happen when he came again. He promised he was going to come again. He said everything's going to be wrapped up. All the evil is going to be basically encased and stopped. And every broken thing is going to be healed. And the tears are going to be wiped away. And I'm going to wrap up all history. And I'm going to bring peace. And everything is going to be surrounded and enveloped in peace. That's what's coming. He's basically saying, you know, if you ever feel worry and anxiety and it's about to crush your day, he says, read the end of the book. We win. One more powerful truth that I'm going to talk extensively about next week, and it says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, here's the point to this. It's saying that what you feed yourself with, what you feed yourself with, what, you, what feeds into your anxiety, If you, you, know, you can either throw, you know, feed on stuff that's going to throw water on the fire or gas on the fire, because there's stuff, and if you read it, it will just make things worse. It's called the law of exposure, and again, we're going to talk about it next week, that what you think about what you think about what you ex- is what you expose yourself to. And what you think about it should become. Now, you can't say just, you know, don't worry and then just shut it down. But I'm telling you, you sure can deal with the stuff that's feeding it. So I have another amazing drawing for you. Ready for this? Okay. Here we go. The one you feed is going to win. You feed fear, and it will take over your heart. You feed faith. And it will take over. It will win. Whatever when you feed. And see, the question is, do you believe everything? Because there's all kinds of junk out there. So, you know, you can listen to all the streams and stuff like this. You've Probably read the whole thing on called the social dilemma, social dilemma, seeing the seen the film on that and so on. There's all kinds of people who want your attention, you know, and, and advertisers who will pay to make sure that you get it, and they will feed the stuff in your life, feed the anxiety that you have if you don't do something and if you don't understand and discriminate between what you feed on. So, got a saying, you know. Here when he says through when he says to the Spirit, says this to Paul, he says, don't just open your mouth like a little birdie, you know, in a nest someplace and let other people stuff things in there. He says, look at the ingredient label, screen it, filter it, ask yourself the question, is this true? And he gives a list here, is it noble? Is it right? Is it is it actually fair? Because if you don't, then you're subject to the opinions of the bloggers and the and the newscasters and the conspiracy conspiracy theorists. You make yourself vulnerable, all that stuff. And that just feeds anxiety. Now, in closing, I want to get right down into the kind of the messy stuff of, of what this deals with. You can't ignore anxiety and worry. You can't just pretend it's not even healthy to try and just pretend it's not there. We all worry. We all feel feel anxious at times. What the Spirit of God is saying is don't stay there. You don't have to stay there. You're going to have feelings of anxiety. You're going to have feelings of worry that come into your life, but don't live there. Don't build a home and, and live on that block. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, in Jesus' first message, he talks about the kingdom. And you remember this, and I think it's in chapter 6, that he talks about this new country, this new realm of authority that he was bringing through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. And he actually spends quite a bit of time there talking about worry. Now, the first thing he says about worry is, you know, basically it's pretty dumb because it doesn't accomplish anything. He says, you can't change how tall you are, which I would have if I could have, but I can't. He says, doesn't change you know, how much hair you have and how much hair you lose. And, you, know, whoop, you, you just lost a hair. You're, the point is that your life is not up for grabs. That you're, you are under the control. He talks about God the Father as a loving Father who gives us good things. Who doesn't just let us starve and wait for us to beg for food and beg for help. He gives us what we need in life. That's how he treats us. Um, now, I want to qualify... What this, what this means. very important to understand that this advice is given to people who've allowed God, who've invited God to be a part of their lives. God will not come into your life and say, okay, I'm your dad now, so you, know, you just straighten up you know, and, and I'll be your father. And he doesn't do that. We invite him into our lives. We invite his participation in our lives. So, and it also has to do, you know, he won't come in and force himself to be our shepherd. He will shepherd you. He will guide you. He will make sure that you have what you need, but He will not force that on you. We have to choose that for ourselves. Jesus, when He was talking about worry, It reminds me of somebody who has a really cool car, you know, and they set it up on jacks and they put a brick, start it up, put a brick on the gas pedal and just burn down through tanks of gas. You know, they burn down through one tank and then they fill it up again, burn down through another tank and keep on doing this. You know, not only does it ruin the car, this would be a stupid, expensive thing to do, right? Jesus says, that's what worry is like. It's pointless. Now, That's why you can't miss the second part of this verse. So you can say, he can say, well, don't worry. He can say, well, Jesus, okay, you're Jesus. Of course you don't worry. You know, you're son of God. You know, you don't have to worry. I do. I'm just a lowly person out here in, in the middle of some field. And, and, and he says, no, that's not true. You, you, are, you have a father who loves you and you're under his care. So in this passage, it says, worry about nothing. But then it says, pray about everything. Don't worry, pray. That's the prescription. Don't worry. Pray. There's a passage in the book of Peter. Peter uh, wrote, writes it like this. He says, cast all your anxiety. There's that word again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, if you're a visual person, I know this is a bad drawing, okay? But you could look at it like this. So you're carrying this load in your back. You're anxious as can be. You think about it every time. It dominates every meal. It dominates every time you lay down to sleep. And it's just, you're just carrying it. And so imagine God standing in front of me and says, okay, hand it over. Hand over what? Well, your problem. The thing you're all worried about. Well, why? Because I'm God. Because I can carry that for you. I've promised that I would carry it for you because I love you. Well, but I've carried it for so long. Yeah, I know you have. You did not have to carry it that far. I want to carry it for you. He just asked us, why don't you just hand it over? Because he cares about us. Now, look at it another way. I've spent at least 15 years of my life, or no, a lot longer than that, 35 years of my life as a dad, okay? So I was, you know, for many years I was Ken Davis the Klutz, and I wouldn't even try to fix anything because I knew I'd... I had to kind of figure out, okay, I've got to do this because that's what dads do. Dad, Dads fix things. So uh, I fixed toys, I fixed bikes, I fixed. I fixed belts, I fixed laundry tubs, you know, uh, fixed the broken antlers on this deer, this carved deer here. And when my granddaughter pulled this bird off here and broke the leg, I had to fix. So, you know, you just learn how to do that stuff. And, and it gets to the point where you don't even wait for them to ask you. You know why? Because I'm dad. That's what dads do. They fix things. At least they, they try to do that. And the clear teaching all through the Bible is this. When a care comes your way, when you feel your stomach churning, when you start to worry, when your palms are sweaty and your mouth is dry, don't lick your hands. This is, this is Abba's moment to be in your life. He's your father. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine, and he has way more power than you would ever dream. I'm telling you, I have been in circumstances in my life where it just seemed like there was no way out. Like there was absolutely no way out of what I was going through. And I found peace. And that's what it talks about here. See, my job and your job is not to make the anxious feelings go away. Our job is when we feel a twinge of worry or fear or anxiety to just take it to God. Take it directly to Him. Now, you think you can manage that? It's not that hard, really, as you read on. The first thing that you need to remember is the words here in this passage says, everything, in everything it doesn't leave anything out you know and in the the problem we have many times is the stuff that we think is too small or too trivial for god and i'll tell you what happens you know i sometimes have this this thought pattern going on in my mind i sit down to pray or or whatever you know and so i'm i've got but i've got this these thoughts, all kinds of thoughts going on that don't seem very spiritual. Looks a lot like worry, you know. What do people think of me? You know, and, and how do I sound? And you know, am I gonna get this message on worry done? And so it's just this cycle that goes on and on, you know, through my mind. But and my temptation is to think, well, these things don't sound very spiritual, so you know, I better edit them out because I want my prayer to be spiritual. And the dumb thing is that God doesn't just tune into my prayer. He knows the whole train of thought that's going through us. It's not like you know, I, I'm going to surprise him by praying a really spiritual prayer, right? He knows about this stuff. And, and what happens if I try to ignore this stuff, that's where my mind goes. It just wanders like I start to pray, and then my, my mind wanders. You know where it goes to? It goes right back to the stuff that was running through my mind. And that's why, you know, this passage says, you know, in everything, just bring it to him. Bring bring it all to him and let him deal with it. Let him sort it out. So, you know what keeps us sometimes from doing this is because it makes us feel like little kids, right? Well, you know, why would God care about how my hair looks? Why would God care about the fact that I'm going bald? Why would God care about, you know, my car? So we think that. And that's what Jesus says. <laughs> he says, you're like little kids. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I mean, kids ask their parents for all kinds of things, right? If you're a parent, you know that your kids, you know, probably at some point going to ask you for something that's dangerous, like they want a Harley or, or something like that, or they'll ask you for something that's really selfish and so on. Guess whose job it is to sort that out? It's the parents. The parents are the one that sort it out. And so that's where God fits in and we say okay you're a dad you know and I'm sure that some of these prayers are going to be selfish but you know I'm just going to lay it out there for you and then he sorts it out now question how many of you have ever prayed a prayer that you're glad that God didn't answer (laughs) I have I'll tell you you know there's stuff that you ask for and you think oh my word if he'd answered my prayer I'd be in deep doo-doo okay now, again, this passage says that in this conversation with God, we need to bring our petitions, we need to present our requests. In other words, it's be specific. You know, if it's just like God blessed me and my wife and my son John and his wife, us four no more, how are you going to know if that's going to happen? How do you know what it's like if he's actually answered your prayer, you know, and blessed you? So be specific about what you want, you know. And don't just whine and complain. Ask God specifically about what you want and then let him work on it. Let him decide what's good and what's not and what's selfish and what's not. So if you're anxious about something, working it through, thinking it out, don't try to sort out all your motives in the middle of it because you'll get messed up, you'll get stalled out. Just bring it to God and let him deal with it. He's a wise parent. Let me mention another part about praying that is critically important as it talks about here. What if someone were to tell you that they want to talk to you and then that's what they do? Like they don't talk just to you they talk at you like you can't get a word in edgewise and they're just on and on and on and on like it's not a conversation it's it's a monologue it's that they're giving you um, i was reading an author uh, john ortberg a number of years ago he tells a story about his family being in this university lounge okay so this woman walks in with her kids 7 or 8 years old and so on so from the moment that she arrived this woman just started Jabbering on and on, and she just never stopped. She told them about herself. She told them about her relatives. She told them about her home. She told them about her neighbors and her childhood. She told them things that they didn't want to know, okay? And she talked incessantly for like an hour, barely stopping even to catch her breath. And then while she was still on this rant, basically, she said, Oh, I gotta go now, gotta go now. You looked at her watch, you know, I gotta do some grocery shopping and I gotta run some errands, and, you know, and oh, yes, I must get some buttons. At that point, She had this little boy, and he spoke up, and he said the first words he'd said. He said, Mother, you need a button for your mouth. (laughs) Of course, the whole lobby cheered on that one. But, I mean, let's say you're really stressed out about something. You're really anxious about something. You know, do you think that that's all all that God wants you to pray, that you just come in and dump your load, and then you leave? Sometimes it's important to just stop and listen because prayer is a two-way conversation. Let's say you've got some financial trouble and so on. And, and so do you think that you just dump you, know, you just dump your load on God, you know, and, and then you go out and he's going to pour all the money into your bank account? Maybe he wants to say, hey, well, maybe you need to get some financial advice. Hey, maybe you need to take a look at your budget. Hey, maybe you need to, you know, spend a little bit less here and a little bit more there and so on. Do you, so he wants you to be involved in the process. That's the way he generally works in our lives. But there's a prerequisite to this, and the prerequisite is you have to be prepared to say yes, to cooperate with what, he, with what he wants. And sometimes, you know, if he's saying, hey, listen, you need to go get some financial counseling, well, that's, that's a little bit humbling to do that. And so you have to be prepared to do that. Now, there's one more component to prayer that you can't miss, and that's Thanksgiving. And I'm telling you, this is where, I, if I'm going to miss it, this is where I miss it, okay? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition With Thanksgiving. With Thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know why He says this? It's because we have short memories. Most of the church boards I've been on, you know, I can usually tell when we're gonna have a long board meeting because the finances are, you know, not good, you know, we're in the red or, or something has come up and so on. And so I count on it every time. You know, we'll get into it and then the board will go into all the details of this, you know, and pour over it for the next hour or whatever, you know. And so at some point, many times one of us will say, wait a minute, we've been here before. This has happened before. What happened then? Did the church go belly up? Did we have to go and you know sell off people and, and stuff like this so that we could make money? No. What you find out is God has taken us here before, and every time he's met our needs. He's always done that. And that's many times where we need to go when we're in a place of anxiety. You know, the Thanksgiving part says, okay, God, you've been here before. We've, we've been here together, and, and you know exactly what's going on. So I'm confident that you're going to take care of this again. The other thing about about thanksgiving is that it's an expression of faith. When you say to somebody, hey, thank you for taking care of this, there's this confidence they're going to do something about it. Like, you know, they, you know, that when you've talked to them about it, you believe that they're actually going to act on it, okay? So there's a point where this is saying, okay, you got to trust God. And this is how you show it with thanksgiving. And the end result of all this is something that everybody wants. Everybody wants peace. I can guarantee you, you go into any, you know, COVID ward in a hospital, you go downtown, you know, Toronto, you go anywhere, and ask, what would you like? Peace. Man, peace would be good. We're in this chaotic time. There's a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. Some of you have experienced the brunt of that. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And it says here, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's the kind of peace that if people looked at you and they knew the problems that you were facing, they would say, How can you live with that kind of confidence? How can you even sleep at night? And it's, Well, I've got somebody who's taken care of this for me and he's done it before and he's going to do it again. Peace of God. Paul uses a, a strong military metaphor here, something these people were very aware of. I don't know if you remember us talking about this, but in Philippi, it was kind of a Roman outpost and so on, military outpost. And it was also a, lot of place, a place where a lot of the Roman um, uh, military people retired, so they lived there. And the word guard for them, conjured up, you know, all these images of soldiers. In our case, it would be, you know, guys in camouflage, you know, carrying M16s, you know, and, and vision goggles, night goggles, you know, and grenade launchers and all this stuff. And it says, okay, you go to sleep, we're going to watch over you. We're going to make sure nothing happens. And that kind of peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You need to know that God has emotions just like us. We were created in his image. But, you know, he never worries. Amazing thing. If you were to go to heaven and so on, there would never be this, you know, all of a sudden the alarm sounds, you know, beep, 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 you know, and the, and the you know, sirens wail, you know, and flashing lights and angels go sliding down. It never happens. There's nobody who ever shows up in heaven where God says, well, man, oh, man, this is an emergency. I didn't expect you here. You weren't supposed to come till next year. God holds all things under his control. And God wants you and I to have the same peace that he has in horrible situations where there seems to be no way out, in those places in life where you have come up with no answers. You don't know how things are going to get taken care of financially. You don't know what's going to happen in your relational world because there's this chaos that seems to be there. And God says, I want to give you peace. That can be your gift. But you've got to hand your burden over to me. So I've done the best I can in explaining this passage and probably blown some stuff up, but I'm telling you, I've I've done the best I can on this and now the ball is in your court. And you have to figure out what you're going to do with your anxiety. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And here's what I know. If you have been in you know, stuck in the rut of worry over time. You know, you know what it's like if you've seen a place where cars have gone back and forth in a dirt field and you just get these deep ruts and so on. And you're gonna tend to fall right back into that. And if this is going to be a part of your life, if you're going to find this peace, you're going to have to practice it because you're going to you know, say, okay, I want to have peace and so on. So I'm going to do this stuff and you're going to pray and do everything, you know, and then you're going to feel this knot of anxiety down inside. You to feel like, oh man, I'm just getting swept away with this. And then you'll have to practice it again. It's like anything that you learn in life, you have to practice it. You have to stay at it and you have to remind yourself God is in control of all things. He's way bigger than this problem. I am not a vulnerable little kid in the middle of this mess. I have, my dad is the God of the universe and he's going to help me because he loves me. You have to practice it. So, will you? He's standing right in front of you. Whatever you're facing right now in your life, he's standing right in front of you and he asks you, would you just give it to me? Hand it over and I'll take care of you. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your goodness I want to thank you that you are like a good dad. You know what we need before we can even ask for it. You know exactly how our hearts work. You're with us wherever we find ourselves, in our cars, while we're texting, while we're working, wherever we find ourselves. You're right there. The Lord is near. You're right there with us. But sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes, God, we throw up our hands and we ask, where's God? And, and, and if you could get through to our consciousness, you'd say, I'm right here. I've been here all along. I've never moved. I've never moved. I'm right here. Give us that kind of confidence. Help us to find our joy and our confidence in you, not in money, not in anything else. And I pray that we would find the peace in our hearts that you've promised. We give our problems to you, and we trust you. Amen. We're going to worship, and then we're going to come back, and I have a benediction.